Howdy from Austin. Last week, we had the third consecutive ice storm in Austin. We survived it, no problems. And then I came down with laryngitis. So if my voice still sounds a little off, it's because I am still a little off, but we're going to go for it anyway. I wanted to tell you about two exciting events coming up for me. The first one is this coming week and then the following week, both on Thursday. The first one is I was invited to speak at the Case Management Society of America, the Southern California Division, and I'm zooming into Orange County, California. I get to talk to case managers about speech pathology. I'm super excited about the opportunity and the icing on the cake is my mom, who is a case manager, will be in that audience. I can't tell you how tickled I am to have that opportunity to not only collaborate with case managers and to advocate for my profession. So my second opportunity will be the following week. I was invited by the Texas Speech Language Hearing Association to present a masterclass on aphasia treatment via telepractice. So this is obviously something I know a little bit about as I've been doing it for nine years and was trained by my mentor, Bill Connors, who was very talented at delivering excellent treatment via telepractice. I am so looking forward to that presentation. It's not just a presentation, it's a masterclass. And what that means is there is a limited number of participants and we're going to get hands on, we're going to zoom in the room and we're going to get to practice some of the fun ways to incorporate telepractice into treatment for adults who have aphasia. Welcome to the Listen for Life podcast with Genevieve Richardson. Genevieve is a speech-language pathologist rehabilitating adults with communication challenges after a stroke or due to a neurological impairment. Living with aphasia is hard. Caregiving is hard. You are not alone. Get equipped with knowledge from experts in the field and professionals you need to know. We'll hear stories and experiences from others who are navigating life with aphasia. So. Put your earphones in and take a walk outside. This isn't just a podcast. This is a community, a resource, and a support system. We're in this together. Do life. So with all of that coming up, today we are talking about speech pathology throughout the continuum of rehabilitation. Let's take a client. We're going to call him Roger. Roger just had a major stroke and he was admitted to the hospital. He's in the intensive care unit and Roger is not able to speak. He's, he's coming in and out of consciousness. He's not on a ventilator, but he is definitely being supported respiratorily. He's not able to eat or drink. He has a stomach tube. What is the role of a speech pathologist in this situation? So that's where we're going to start today. But first, let's define a couple of terms because it's important to know where we're starting. When I started this podcast, 
I did it with the assumption that all of you knew what aphasia was. So we're just going to go back to the beginning for a minute and go over some terms that you'll probably hear me talk about on this episode. The first one is aphasia. Aphasia is a communication disorder. Anything that impacts speaking, listening, reading, writing, or thinking. Apraxia, also with an A, is a disorder of the programming of body movements potentially impacting the arm, the body, and specifically for speech pathology purposes, the mouth. Cognition involves thinking, knowing, judging, problem solving, executive function, attention, and memory that are necessary to support language. You have to have cognition to support language. And then the last term is dysphagia. That is a difficulty or an impairment of swallowing. Being in telepractice, I don't deal much with uh, swallowing problems. Most of the folks that I work with have chronic aphasia or apraxia and their swallowing issues have long since been resolved. So number one, a speech pathologist's role, I believe, whether it's in intensive care unit or the acute care or the like the medical floor of the hospital, our job is to give hope. The, they're, if I'm talking to the family, their loved one just had a stroke. They are going through a whole host of emotions and they need to know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It is a long rehab process. But what I would caution every clinician out there is watch the words that you choose. We need to let families know that they are not alone. They need to know that speech pathologists are there as well as the physical, occupational therapists, the physicians, the nurses, and the case managers. So families in this kind of situation, they are just reacting. They are pulling in information. They're not going to process at a complex level. So we need to keep our language simple. So let's talk some more specifics about if someone's had a stroke and they are in and out of consciousness, what is our first job? Our first job at the bedside is to look at swallowing. Often there is something going on, whether we need to work with the physician for a temporary feeding solution, or perhaps we can actually start direct treatment for swallowing. That's a first step. Second step is communication. If the person is nonverbal, first thing we have to do is establish way of communicating. What that means, can they hear a simple question and answer yes or no? Are they able to point to things that they might need? Many professionals that are outside of speech pathology think, well, just give them a communication board. I'm here to tell you that a communication board doesn't always work. Perhaps if the communication board says pain, toilet or bathroom, hungry, thirsty, that would be a good first level communication board. Our job as a speech pathologist is to figure out 
where their thinking level is, where their language level is. They may not be able to conceptualize what they need to pointing to a picture on a piece of paper or on an actual board itself. They may not be at that level. So therefore, we being the listeners, and that means anybody that's coming in to interact with with that patient, we need to perceive what we're seeing from them and interpret it for what their immediate needs are. If the client or patient is more able to participate, we might do a quick evaluation just to get a sense of what's their listening, what's their ability to speak, maybe even some basic word reading. We might see if they can gesture or write a couple of words with their non-dominant hand. So we're going to talk about Roger. Roger is a real person, but that's not his real name. And Roger had a severe stroke. And what we did at bedside for him was try to establish a yes, no question and answer. He wasn't able to, because of his apraxia, he couldn't get the words out. It seemed at times he had the intention of communicating something. So our job was to figure out what he was trying to communicate and ask simple yes, no questions to further understand what he needed. It's all about the wants and needs. So once a person, a patient is medically stable, they go to inpatient acute rehabilitation. This means they can tolerate three hours of therapy a day combined with physical, occupational, and speech therapy. There, the speech pathologist's role is one of not only working with the client, but working as the go-between with the team and telling them how they can best communicate and get the best performance out of the person that's in acute rehabilitation. If the patient is limited on their ability to follow directions, our job is to let the physical therapist know, ask questions in this way. Pause, wait for a response. Our other job is to advocate at team meetings to continue to be almost that translator, that transition person, explaining how their speech and language is progressing and what their needs might be. So we work very closely with case management and the therapy team and the physicians and the nurses to maximize that communication. So now Roger is in inpatient rehabilitation. I used to love going into a co-treatment situation, meaning I would come into the physical therapy gym and physical therapy and myself with work with the client while they're doing whatever their mat exercises are. When they're resting, I work on speech and language. When they're working with PT, I'm challenging them on their listening comprehension, their verbal expression, and trying to get them to that next level. So Roger, our example, is now an inpatient rehab. He doesn't have meaningful words that he can say, but we were able to establish for him a thumbs up, thumbs down gesturing system. So if he heard a simple yes, no question, and all that means is, Roger, 
did you understand? And you pause and he gives you a thumbs up or a thumbs down. It's super important to establish a communication system early on in rehab. Then in individual therapy with Roger, we were working at the apraxia level, working with his mouth movements, trying to increase his voluntary movements so that he could speak sounds, hopefully syllables, and eventually words. We would work continue to work on his comprehension. We may integrate reading in so he could see and understand what his rehab schedule looked like, that he could see and understand what his nurse's name is when her name is written up on the board at his bedside. So Roger has done his weeks of inpatient rehabilitation. He's getting ready to discharge and he's going to go home with home health care. The speech pathologist's role continues to be as a go-between with the team, communicating where the person is functioning as far as their speech and language is concerned so that the team members can maximize their therapeutic and education efforts. So for Roger specifically, we continued to work on his swallowing issues. We were working on his exercises, improving his ability to swallow various textures and liquid consistencies. Additionally, working directly with his spouse, with the paid caregiver that was in the house, we did a lot of education and training about his communication and we had the opportunity to continue working at the impairment level. So for a person in home health care, you are limited as far as how many visits are shared across disciplines, meaning physical, occupational, and speech therapy. I remember back in the days when I was doing home health care, when we had our team meetings every week, we would literally negotiate. We would prioritize what the patient needed at the time. Was it more important for him to work on the physical movements, transitions? Was it more important for him to have more self-care? Was it more important for him to work on his communication or were all just as equal? You would argue that, of course, all of those things are equal, but if you have a limited number of visits in home health care, there is some give and take as to which discipline's gonna do how much of the therapy visits. So we were talking about Roger and home health care. We did establish for him more complex, more complex than four choices. Probably, I think it was a 12 block communication board that he was able to express basic wants and needs to his wife and his caregiver when he was at home. What we all, I need to let you know about communication boards. Again, we as a non-impaired individual think, of course, I can point to the picture of food indicating that I'm hungry or that I'm thinking about food or that I want a specific food, but it doesn't work that way in an aphasia brain. So communication board is not the end all be all. It is it is one tool in the toolbox of communication. So now we are moving on to outpatient hospital therapy, or perhaps the patient is now going to an outpatient clinic 
whether there's all three disciplines, PT, OT, speech, or he's going to different outpatient clinics for different disciplines. At that level, we are continuing as a speech pathologist to work at the impairment level. We are trying to improve his speech output. We're having to work with both his aphasia and apraxia to get words out so that he can express himself. And it's so important for a person with aphasia and apraxia to have that connection with people. They want to be seen as a person. They want to have input on what happens to them. So Roger, an outpatient, he's now on a regular diet. He's able to feed himself with some modifications that occupational therapy has taught him. We're continuing to work on his apraxia treatment. He can follow simple one-step verbal directions without any other kind of input or cueing needed. And he's starting to read at the single word level. Again, it's so imperative that we continue to educate the family and the caregivers that are working with him so they understand where he's functioning so that they can make adjustments to their communication. So we're three months into outpatient therapy and Roger is not moving forward. And the speech pathologist, and I'm just speaking about speech now, the speech pathologist says, I'm sorry, you're not moving forward. We need to plan for discharge in the next one to two weeks. Wow. What is a family going to do? They're thinking, is this the end? How is my husband being discharged when he can't talk? One of the most important things we can do as either a therapist or someone in the medical field that's dealing with these clients or whether it's family, we need to give that person some control. We need to give them choices. Even the smallest choices make a difference. Would you want orange juice or cranberry juice? and wait for an answer. Maybe they can't say the word. Maybe you hold up your left hand with a number one and your right hand with a number two. And you say, would you like orange juice? And you hold up number one on the left side of your body. And you, then you ask cranberry juice and you hold up a number two on the right side of your body. How can that person indicate their choice? They can point, they can look, they can touch your hand. There's all kinds of different ways. If you just give a choice, they will answer it. Be creative. Try not to limit how the person with aphasia and apraxia responds to you. Try to roll with it. See how they respond. Don't get caught up and, and be rigid. So in outpatient or private practice therapy, Roger is continuing to work on his communication. We get to work, we get to dig much more into the weeds in outpatient treatment, meaning we can spend a whole session just working on mouth movements, 
But again, as a speech pathologist, we have to look comprehensively. What is the most important use of our time? And insurance dollars. Most of these folks going through outpatient are there on the dime of Medicare or their private insurance. Some folks get treatment under Medicaid. Whatever the case may be, each therapist has to work with the family and the patient to weigh how we spend our time in treatment and what we're trying to achieve. So I want to offer an alternative for treatment. I'll back up first by saying at Life Speech Pathology, we specialize in the evaluation and treatment of folks who have chronic aphasia and apraxia and all those other things that go with that. Many of the folks that find us are two years after a stroke. So the beauty of our private practice is that we see folks via the computer. It's telepractice, telepractice, telemedicine, whatever you want to call it, I call it telepractice. It allows us to provide specialty services into a client's home with just a laptop or a tablet like an iPad and a strong internet connection. And if the person is motivated and willing to work, they are a prime candidate for telepractice. It eliminates geographic constraints and rehabilitation doesn't have to stop after discharge. Telepractice can be better than in-person treatment in that we have the full gamut. I want to say Pandora's box. Well, maybe depends on how you think of it, but the internet, we have it all at our fingertips. And the fun part of telepractice is we can adjust our treatment and the materials that we use based on the client's goals, their interests, and you know what they want to work on. I can work on listening comprehension in dozens of different ways. If they're at such a level, we could use YouTube videos. We could use podcasts. We could use a text-to-speech generation of his emails that he receives at home. There is just so much opportunity for telepractice. So telepractice since the beginning of the pandemic, call it March of 2020, has been a covered service for medically necessary treatment. It's covered under Part B Medicare. And because Medicare has accepted telepractice, most insurance companies do as well. And so far, it is continuing. The trick for a speech pathologist in telepractice is to make sure the person is a good candidate for telepractice. Do they have the desire to do treatment? Are they motivated? Are they willing to work over the computer? Do they have family support for doing so? Those are such key issues prior to starting treatment. And it's something I take very seriously when I do a phone consultation. So we also have to have, as the clinician goes, a HIPAA compliant system. I have a HIPAA compliant Zoom account, which means I'm able to maintain 
patient confidentiality. I've had to set up the office so I have confidentiality. I use a practice management software that maintains HIPAA compliance and preserves client information. So telepractice candidates are self-motivated. They have goals to achieve. They believe they can improve and they are willing to work. So that's a little bit of overview about a speech pathologist who works with clients through the rehabilitation spectrum. In our example with Roger, Roger is a person I've been seeing via telepractice and he continues to make gains. I met Roger a couple of years after his stroke and he is still making progress. There is no such thing as a plateau. There is a limitation of insurance. There can be a limitation in the clinician's skills, but their patient does not reach a plateau. I firmly believe there is always another way, another angle, another method, another opportunity to work with that client. And because of Zoom and Zooming into the house, we can have other family members join us on the on treatment. We can have the caregivers who might be off that day, but they are willing to Zoom in from their house to join our session and have training. I can work with grandkids. I can work with nieces and nephews and aphasia coaches. The beauty of Zoom is that we don't all have to be together physically, but we can be together on the internet to help our clients do more and do life. That's my motto at Life Speech Pathology. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, concerns, if you want me to expand on any of these points, please reach out to me. Hello at dolifespeechpathology.com. Also, I want to bring your attention to the website, dolifespeechpathology.com. We have a dedicated resources page now where with one sign up, you can download more than a dozen different resources, whether it's communication strategies, advocating for your person at the holidays, things you need to know regarding medical and legal and assisted living facilities or alternative living conditions, not conditions, but places to live. There is a bunch of information there, folks, and I'd love for you to check it out. Also, If you know someone who's had a stroke, if you know the spouse of someone or a family member, somebody at your church or the cashier at your grocery store, I would be honored if you would let them know about our mission at Life Speech Pathology, point them to the website. We offer free consultations. Like I said, there's resources there and I am not going away anytime soon. This podcast is going to continue. This is episode 28 and I couldn't be prouder to have your support to continue putting out good content. Wishing you a wonderful, wonderful week.
Thanks for tuning in to the Listen for Life podcast. We hope you feel empowered and supported. Head over to listenforlifepodcast.com to see the show notes with links and information from today's episode. Do you have a topic, a resource to share, or a guest recommendation? Inquiring minds want to know. Let us know in the comments section. Wishing you a fabulous week.